Quantified Health Wellness and Aging Podcast. A podcast about the latest products and services, technologies and people pushing forward a new frontier. Bi-monthly Lee S. Dreiber hosts a pioneer for an in-depth discussion. And now over to the show. Hello and welcome to the 15th episode of the Quantified Health Wellness and Aging Podcast. On today's show, we have Elizabeth Parrish. Elizabeth Parrish is a founder and CEO of BioViva, is a humanitarian, entrepreneur, innovator, author, and a leading voice for genetic cures. As a strong proponent of progress in education for the advancement of regenerative medicine modalities, she serves as a motivational speaker to the public at large and for the life sciences. She is actively involved in international educational media outreach. BioViva is currently working on the development of tools to help people monitor their health over time and is funding a research project at Rutgers University to develop a therapy to address time-incurred cell damage. Hello and welcome to the Quantified Health Wellness and Aging podcast, Liz. Thanks for having me, Lee. It's great to be here. I greatly appreciate having you. I'll jump straight in here. In 2000, I almost said 2005, in 2015, you flew to Bogota, uh, Colombia, and you made a controversial medical history. Uh, You were a self-appointed guinea pig in the quest for radically increased longevity. You received 100 injections to inhibit both the enzyme telomerase and myostatin. And since then, you've continued as a harbinger of a new era in medicine in which people receive genetic modifications to not just halt aging, but to reverse aging. Would that be a fair introduction? It'd be fair. Uh, the telomerase inducer, <clears throat> excuse me, the telomerase inducer actually uh, upregulates telomerase and then the uh, fullostatin downregulates myostatin. So, yeah. That's what I did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I should have worded that a little differently. Let's start with a, a few personal questions. Are you scared of death? I am. I am not actually. I don't think that somebody who runs out and does an experimental therapy is afraid of death. So I think that a lot of people probably get that wrong about me. I was looking for cures for kids. In 2013, my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I had already spent two years uh, doing a nonprofit, volunteering my time for the advocacy of the use and education of stem cells. So I had seen all this fantastic regenerative medicine uh, technology. I fell in love with genetics because I was working with epigeneticists as to why stem cells work the way they do. Because Every cells of, uh, in our body have uh, the same genes. We have the same chromosomes, but why do some cells have special abilities? And in, in this case, the ability to regenerate systems. I had already sort of spun off into my loves, uh, love of genetics, but when my son was diagnosed, it threw me into a world of sick children. And when I was at the hospital with him, I asked them, you know, what sort of uh, therapeutics do you have in stem cells and genetics? And they said, look, your son has a treatable disease. Uh, You know, there are kids here who are dying. 
you know, please, you know, just uh, relax and learn to take insulin. And I, I just, it, it really never fit into my head that there were kids there that were dying when I had read all of this fantastic, amazing research uh, in the, the realm of stem cells and genetics. I had just spent two years doing that. So I went looking for cures for kids, and then I ran into the aging research. Every gene that BioViva looks at actually treats a childhood disease and the disease of aging. So when I took those gene therapies, I took those as uh, my gift to humanity. Um, I took those knowing that I could have a negative, serious outcome, that I could die, but that I also might be able to help billions of people live better um, than they had been living and have a better future. So I, I am not afraid of death. I, I would say that I am afraid of being a dependent. I don't want to be sickly and have people have to care for me. I don't want to suffer, and I don't want the people around me to suffer. Uh, but I'm not afraid of dying. You had said, relate to that, that technology sits in the labs for years, and, and technology which has been shown to work in lab models. And uh, you you want to speed up technologies uh, which um, help humans stay in homeostasis for as long as possible. This is what you're saying is that you you want to create more robust human beings. Yeah, absolutely. The, the goal of the company is to create a human that regenerates faster than they degenerate, therefore having a a longer health span. And if that's an indefinite health span, I'm all for that. I mean, no intelligent species uh, wants to die. I mean, we don't have any reason to uh, desire that. We have a, a lot of um, industry uh, built around that, a lot of religions built around uh, giving meaning to that. But I think we can all agree, uh, regardless of our religions and beliefs, that today we want to be alive, uh, that we, we choose life over death. And, and we show it in, in our spending. We spend most of the money that we will ever spend on healthcare trying to stay alive at the end of life. So we choose life uh, over death. And, um, and I certainly do. And, and our goal is to extend that uh, as far as people uh, would like to experience life itself. Do you think we have more suffering today due to illness than we did in the past? The reason I ask that is because from a young child, I was uh, washed with a, I, I was going to use the word dog, dogma, the, hey, the, these are utopian times in which we live. We live much longer, but it's because we live much longer that we have chronic disease. And I've really been questioning that. So do you think that uh, we may have lived in better health span quite some time ago in human history? There, there's some argument that we lived in better health span before farming. And so, you know, the introduction of farming and pushing animals in closer to, you know, human confines is believed by some historians uh, to have decreased health span. But if you actually look at modern life, the last uh, couple hundred years, we have vastly increased uh, health span through science and technology. So antibiotics and immunizations are the first real, you know, preventative and um, 
uh, predictive medicine for uh, changing the outcome of how long we live. And uh, we live better now than we, we have at least historically in the last couple hundred years. And so if you, if you want to look at something like chronic disease, yes, we probably died in shorter time frames in the past of infectious disease. But now we have chronic diseases. So now, you know, people are vastly spending about a third of their life in a chronic condition. And that is not good. Um, that's not something that we want to aspire to. And, you know, we want to have science step in now and do what it's done in the past, which is increase health span uh, once again. Don't you think the the D, I, I would contend that in the last 30, 40, maybe 50 years, we've been, it appears we've been having decreased health span uh, or a rise in chronic disease, metabesity, because of lifestyles, uh, highly processed foods, lack of sunlight, higher stress, etc. And also possibly uh, food guidelines, which were wrong, you know, uh, healthy whole grains, avoid fats, cut uh, salt, etc. So don't you think that it's actually lifestyles which are ruining the bulk of health well, I, yeah, I mean, I would argue that it's, you know, genetics that are that are really the, the ruin because we have 100% risk of mortality uh, no matter what we do uh, without modifying our genome. But yes, uh, one of the, we know that by lifestyle interventions, by, you know, eating correctly and not smoking, we can, you know, just the cessation of smoking itself increased lifespan by six years on average in the whole population. So there are a lot of things uh, that we could be doing to live, yes, even healthier and better just within the parameters of lifestyle. You could probably add <clears throat> 6, 10, 12 years of much more healthy, active life. But if we want to break the barriers of the diseases of aging, you know, it's, it's really going to be a genetic undertaking. So before I go into radical life extension, please correct me if I'm wrong. Often I perceive the those in what I'll call the radical life extension community as not paying enough attention to the fundamentals of health. Often it can be people in the crypto space who are staying up all night, sitting at computers, etc., very interested in life extension, but paying eating pizzas, getting very little sunlight, etc. And something just doesn't strike me right about trying to fix downstream issues that come downstream from those actions. Surely we must get the basic actions of lifestyle correct, including basic supplementation like zinc, magnesium, and so forth, first. Well, I think that we can actually do them in tangent. So people want quality and quantity. Um, and a lot of people you know, because of the, the new way of living uh, behind a computer um, with this, you know, dietary lifestyle that drives obesity, uh, their desires for taste, cravings uh, over, you know, doing without. Look, I'm, I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian for probably what, I don't know, over 20 years. Um, I'm you and I might be uh, better at doing without than other people. And, and I don't think that it's easier for us. I think that we're just willing to take those, you know, make those changes, but <clears throat> other people don't want to. So I, I think that 
wanting it all is, is an okay thing, but it, it's just going to have to be sorted out genetically. It would be optimal if people went out and lived better lifestyles, healthier lifestyles, and, and did all of the correct things. But, you know, there, for instance, just with diet, there are so many diets out there. Now, you and I know that eating has to be a lifestyle, and that's how you have good maintenance. But really, for most people, the jury is still out on what works. Like some people might run to a, a certain type of diet that makes you lose weight and think that that's healthy. Whereas in the long term, that diet may have a detriment. And the reason that you lose a lot of weight is because, you know, you're, you're basically pushing your system <clears throat> all the way to the limit. The, it just really hasn't been sorted out in a clear and concise way. And, and I think that if you have a clear and concise way and a healthy diet that you can actually share that works with most people, you have to get out there and share that information. There's just that's just a really heated, uh, difficult area to get into uh, of what exactly do people need and what type of supplementation they should take. And I think that people, yes, they should be looking into that and optimizing that. I think that that doesn't circumvent, though, the desire uh, to have optimal health with less effort. And I think that that is where genetics will go. For instance, you know, PGC1-alpha could take people who are grossly obese and help them, you know, get, curb their BMI back into a, a normal range in which uh, they might have more energy and uh, more excess of ATP to actually, you know, become more active. So some, some bodies are hindered from the get go. So for instance, you know, a lot of people say, you know, is genetic modification, is that, um, is that enhancement or is that preventative medicine? Well, it's really both. And then they say, well, isn't that gene doping? You know, doesn't that give you an advantage over other people? But you know, people who are born, uh, with athletic genes or, uh, other, so inclined genes that make them, you know, maybe better at mathematics or music, the, these are actually known areas. And so there are, there are sports genes, for instance, there's a, there's a great book called the sports gene and it, it goes over what most people who are actually really successful at sports, the differences in their genomics. So it, at some point, you know, leveraging the, the playing field and making it so that everyone has the ability to uh, feel more inclined to get out and exercise or, or eat better or something like that, you know, it, it could be solved uh, at least more than partially uh, by modifying the genes. So I think that wanting both quality and quantity um, is a normal aspect of being human. I'll try and say this super briefly so I don't take up time. I see we're going to the future where health, wellness, and aging is quantified at an extremely high resolution level. And once that happens, then you have a what I'll call a currency, and you can start seeing, you know, if you eat broccoli, for <laughs> I'm making this up, if you keep living on broccoli, you won't need a certain gene therapy or have far less likely are far less likely to have that need and it will track what the cost of the gene therapy is etc so you'll always have a gps for each action that you take does that make any sense 
Well, I think, again, I think that you could uh, eat really healthy, uh, you could exercise really well. And uh, with the, the genes that we have today, we, uh, we will still die of aging. And so the, the worst case outcome will, would still come to be. So there may be um, one of the things that we offer at BioViva is a, is a DNA methylation kit. So, you know, looking at your methylation patterns and then intervening in your lifestyle and then looking at them again to see the sort of benefits uh, that you got them, got from the intervention. But until there is such a uh, food or, or something that you could eat that would actually stop the accumulation of damage, uh, I'm not sure what that will be. Uh, but if, you know, until then, I think we'll be looking at genetic modification uh, in order to really break that health span, lifespan uh, bottleneck. Who is, if, if, if you're able to say, who is the lab providing the epigenetic, the Horvath clock um, processing? Well, actually, so the epigenetic uh, process, so actually looking at the CPGs, uh, that, that's not the clock itself. Uh, that's just the CPG sites. That's Rutgers University, and we're using the Illumina Epic Array. So it gives you the most points of your methylation data available. It's almost a million different CPG sites. So it's kind of like taking your whole genome sequencing for your uh, methylation data. So it's, you know, data that can really grow with you over the coming years. It's, it's, it's actually immense. It, it's incredible. And who's applying sort of machine learning to determine the age? So we're doing the machine learning on the BioViva side. And so what we're hoping to do is look at multiple clocks, uh, but we'll be starting with the, the one clock and then expanding it. And then the benefit of this uh, huge array, uh, the 850,000 plus CPG sites, is to be able to see what happens with patients that take regenerative gene therapies uh, after therapeutic uh, intervention. So we do a before and an after. And uh, we needed something that was really broad so that we could look at pretty much everything that was going on uh, in the genome. And um, we decided to make it into a product that we launched to the public. And why didn't you just use a third party for that? Why did you begin doing taking quite a bit of that in-house? Well, because we were the only company in the world uh, that has patients' uh, data on what happens after patients take regenerative gene therapies. So we need to actually look at the broadest band of data to see what markers move. Um, and so that's, a, that's an in-house process. Um, that's uh, data that's very specialized to the company. So this epigenetic uh, marker of aging is a nice metric to attach to these gene therapies to see what is working and not working. I wonder, I'm sure you know the company QBio. I want, it would be quite interesting to also do markers through a company like that to ascertain what is changing. Yeah, I'd have to look into it. We're we're working with a, a group in Israel now. Uh, we'll we'll be looking at proteomics. We already do um, uh, genome testing. We we do a lot of testing. We even do uh, biome testing before and after gene therapy. So we we look at a lot of different markers uh, in patients. How many people have you run through? If you're able to say. 
So that's Integrative Health Systems. That's our exclusive partner. And um, I can't, I don't really do a whole ton of advertisement for them. We do let people know that they exist and we talk about what we do on our side. Uh, I think last year, probably, I'm not sure, maybe about 12 people. I mean, I only know that we don't actually get the names of the patients or any specifics. It's, it's randomized data. But, um, or anonymized data, I should say, not randomized, or else we'd be mixing up uh, samples. But um, I think that we are getting the data from maybe 12 or more people this year from that system. Okay, so that made my mind jump to uh, the longevity subreddit. And this may be a question you can't answer because you, you'll say it's for your partner, but I'll, I'll, I'll partner company, I'll, I'll see. It's uh, The question was, uh, what do you think of the dating agency model proposed and used by Alexander Masters, where a rich individual pays for a treatment for themselves and for 10 other people? Could be useful in getting real in human data on various treatments in some country with much lower regulatory costs like Colombia. Are you aware of that model? Um, one thing that we're doing, so I'm not entirely aware of that model. We actually encourage people all the time, high net worth people to, uh, fund studies, uh, through integrative health systems to help other patients get access to the technology. And we're working with a nonprofit maximum life foundation that has funded, uh, 10 patients to get access, uh, to free gene therapy for dementia. So we're constantly searching for people or nonprofits who will fund an average person to go through therapeutics. I wonder if someone could fund, say, 10, 12 individuals at one go and do some kind of double-blind placebo-controlled study. Yeah, I mean, you you can do things like that in um, gene therapy, but, you know, gene therapy is generally therapeutics that are used in sick people. So they're used in someone that you're trying to treat a condition. And as far as double blind, I mean, I think that that works really well for small molecules. It's not necessary for um, gene therapy because you're either upregulating the protein or you're not. You're you're highly unlikely to get a placebo effect of an upregulated protein <laughs> in the blood. So you can do that. And that's something that you would do in clinical trials. We do what's called studies, uh, giving people access to therapeutics um, on a participatory um, basis. So people can take uh, actionable action into their own healthcare. And um, we have, so George Church is one of our advisors and he's basically set up that, you know, some ways that we might be able to do something similar while giving everyone access uh, to the technology if it's successful. And so um, there's a name to that study and it's not coming to my mind right now, but it ensures that everyone gets access to the therapeutic if it actually works. The thing is, is that gene therapy is very expensive. So uh, if people are paying to participate or paying for other people to participate, they generally want to ensure that they're actually getting the gene therapy. But we're open to suggestion. Liz, what was your ambition as a child? My ambition as a child was to be a veterinarian. Okay. And now we're at this point where you wish to radically extend human lifespan. And so now you can imagine that you've got Elon Musk who wants to take us to Mars. 
Now, if we, we achieve radically extended human lifespan, let's say 200, 500 years, that's quite a different human configuration living on Mars with a lifespan of a few hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, the, the beautiful thing is that different people are pushing towards uh, different technologies. And actually, I think that if you want to go to Mars, and especially then if you eventually want to come back, uh, you need to live a long time. Uh, space and gene therapy have been something that have been intertwined uh, succinctly, uh, you know, protecting against radiation, uh, creating muscle mass uh, so that, you know, muscle wasting and loss in space isn't as detrimental and increasing the immune system. And so that, you know, because astronauts actually do get a hit on their immune system as well. It accelerates uh, aging space. Yes. Yeah. And you said you want to create more, more, I can't pronounce today, morphological freedom. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what, where we go with uh, gene therapy today is really trying to create healthier lives. You know, my goal is to uh, extend the human health span uh, and lifespan uh, to what people want, what they, they would prefer for themselves. And in the meantime, cure childhood disease. Remember, my initial goal is to get children well so that they at minimum live uh, a lifespan that we do today. And um, But where we go from that uh, goes into uh, the ability to do a myriad of things uh, genetically with oneself um, in order to fulfill the, the type of person that you feel that you are. So maybe, you know, some people uh, are born with um, in, inadequacies in thinking that they should have been another sex, but maybe some people didn't realize they were born to wish that they could, you know, climb a mountain in a short period of time or live in a, a specialized environment or travel in space. Uh, a lot of people are born with those desires, but with a body that's incapable of actually accomplishing that. So uh, the desire with genetics uh, and the outcome is that we really have a sky's the limit uh, scenario. One of the most important things in science is to have some sort of model organism, uh, something that you can base your hypothesis on. And so there are uh, organisms that are almost immortal. There are organisms that don't get cancer. And there are organisms that see in billions of colors instead of the mil mere millions that we see in. There are uh, organisms that have sensory systems that uh, we don't seem to have or have been downplayed over time. And there are organisms that have pretty blue feathers instead of brown hair. And um, so, you know, my hope is that, you know, in the future, safely, uh, without modifying or, or hindering future generations, that people will have the, the freedom uh, to genetically uh, expanse into areas that they feel like they identify with. I believe you said you wanted to see you in billions of colors. I instead do. Of <laughs> That's why I brought that up. I have been uh, pretty obsessed with uh, gene therapies to the eye, uh, both regenerative, uh, because all of us are losing our vision with time. Uh, there may be ways to slow that down, but there is no ways to stop that. Uh, 
with outside of gene therapy. And then I would also like to expand my vision to, to be uh, one of those pentachromats uh, to see the world in a, a totally new way. I think it would be absolutely amazing. What hope do you have for the future? Uh, my hope for the future is that uh, childhood disease is eradicated. Humans live a lifespan that they're comfortable with. It, they, they can bell out when they want to, when they feel that they have experienced everything that they would like to experience. I'd like to see human minds that are not hindered with aging. Uh, some of the things uh, that cause mortality priming, uh, the, our preparation for death, the stockpiling, the shutting down to the, the people around us and coming, becoming, um, I don't know, um, accepting of the death process is because of, of either pain or loss of senses over time, the loss of sense of smell, the, the loss of the ability to see well, um, the loss of your hearing, all of these things happening uh, in parallel along with the uh, degradation of the, the organ that we call the brain. And if we could keep all of these systems uh, on top of, uh, you know, the top performance, I, I believe that, you know, people will feel much more fulfilled. They'll do a lot more. They'll start taking care of the environment and taking care of each other. We need to work together to create this uh, magnitude of future that we have upon us. And um, that, that really is my goal. I want to see less people bickering and fighting and cutting each other down and more people working together, lifting each other up and seeing that each person's vision is a combined mission that we could, we could expedite. And I think that vastly that's tied to lifespan and uh, brain performance and you know, body function. When, when we're performing well, when we're young, when life doesn't seem limited, we we have more friends, we're out doing more things, and we learn more. I'd like to see that expanded exponentially. Where do you get your optimism from? What's the source of it? <laughs> it must be my genes because, you know, I mean, really, I'm just one <laughs> Those people, I don't know. That's uh, always the genes, right? Uh, it, I don't know. Uh, I'm just one of those people that it's really, really hard to knock me down and knock me out of optimism. I've been around a lot of negative people that, you know, choose uh, negativity and pessimism over optimism. And that just, that never drives the future. That always halts things to a stop. And, you know, I just, you know, tell people, you know, if you, can't be optimistic um, about the future. You know, you, you just need to go and do some reading. There's some really great books out there about, you know, the progress that we have made in science and technology and how the world is becoming a better place. Um, My World in Data, that's a great place to go. MyWorldInData.org, that's an Oxford group, and they keep uh, track of, you know, poverty and, 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 um, you know, all of the negative effects that could possibly be happening from technology. And, and yet we, we actually are burgeoning and becoming a better world every day. And that knowledge uh, really uh, drives my optimism. I know that people are mostly good. I know that outside of psychopaths or something like that, where the brain has gone completely wrong, um, we are at least 80% good. And it really is 
where you give benefit. If you give people um, a cookie for doing the right thing, they will do more of the right thing. If you give them benefit, some benefits from doing negative things, you know, they will do more negative things. But as a whole, we, we are good. And I think that we can be even better. I would definitely agree that human nature is is fundamentally good and the realization of that was uh, a transformative time in my life because I felt I'd been culturally bred to believe it was every man for himself um, and I think that's caused because ruling class ideologies are perpetuated. Oh yeah, it's kind of, they do write history, don't they? I, I, I can totally see that and you know I, I also feel like we're falling out of this, you know, the most famous luxurious people are, you know, the most popular. I think that we're, we're as a species and as humans, we're becoming more interested in the process uh, rather than the outliers of, of super wealth. I know that it still does push a lot of buttons and, and a lot of people aspire to that, but but great ideas and great thinking and uh, great giving uh, in this time when, you know, people on average are all around the world almost are living better than, you know, kings and queens did of some 150 years ago. Uh, we have enough time on our hands to to do better and be better and uh, actually bring in better ideas. I think that that's what it's all about. You seem to be going in the opposite direction of what I feel is a zeitgeist, which is people complaining of turning to Amazon uh, robots, of being uh, gig economy workers, Uberized, etc. Uh, not being able to afford health care, job instability, uh, great, great economic disparities, uh, stratification always increasing, etc. Well, I think that, you know, with COVID-19 here, we're learning maybe some of the tools that we're going to need to to deal with um, an ever-changing landscape. I think that, I mean, biologically, we're not trying to turn humans into robots. Uh, that's why we make computers. We make computers to solve uh, certain type of problems and keeping the humanity and the essence and the empathy of humans, uh, something that's unique to us, love. You know, what, what creature, you know, goes to some harsh landscape like a, a beach and sees the beauty? I mean, that's actually a very difficult landscape for organisms to live in, uh, a sea, seaside. But we see beauty in that. And I think that, you know, ins ensuring that the narrative of humans is as meaningful as the, the better parts of us are, is going to be an important part of moving forward. Now, robotic um, sort of instrumentation and AI can be very uh, beneficial to humans. And we just need to make sure that we look out for uh, the earning capacity and the uh, ensuring that people don't struggle who are losing their jobs. And that's happening around us all the time. You go to the grocery store and a lot of, you know, you can self-check yourself out. It's not so good that there doesn't need to be a person there that's being called on constantly, but it will get to that point where we are needing less and less uh, manual labor from humans. Could that be a good thing? Yes, as long as we're innovating, because there's a lot of job opportunities or the idea of basic income for people 
for everyone. It's really the lack of innovation, just as we're still stuck on fossil fuels, apparently, even though there's great innovations in uh, machinery and uh, cars and things like that. It's, it's just, it's like the image as if there is nowhere else to go that we just go from here to doing nothing. But that's not true. There's a lot of innovation that could create a lot of jobs out there that is just not uh, being funded. I even wonder, I, well, personally, I won't even wonder. I have the opinion that <laughs> jobs is an antiquated notion, and I find it absolutely mindless that we still even talk about the concept of jobs. Well, you know, it, the the thing is, we should have, you know, a basic human right to health care and everything. I mean, look at the United States. We have a, a really terrible health care situation here. I mean, there, there are people, for instance, just uh, recently with this uh, new infectious disease going in and, you know, to the hospitals here and coming out with 35,000, 55,000, $75,000 uh, bills uh, uh, that they, they can't pay. And, and in some cases not being given acceptable care because they don't have health care insurance. It's, it's, it's ruinous. It is really bad. Um, it's, it's very much synonymous with, um, you know, I mean, just historically, we know how bad this is. Um, it's, it's synonymous with, uh, having homeless people and not giving them the ability to access toilets and and wash their hands, you know, if you're if you go into most cities, you can't access a bathroom unless you're a patron. Where do these people go? We know that sanitation uh, was one of the biggest jumps in you know uh, increasing you know health span and, and good outcomes in disease states in humans. Uh, that we had seen just just being able to wash up and that that should be an absolute basic right and then on top of that you know having the best in healthcare but maybe we don't have the best in healthcare today and so <laughs> we're we're waiting for that to happen i don't know what well, do i'm glad think? we have dreamers and we have optimists and uh, last question and challenging that are you do you, do you ever ponder if the likes of major platforms like Amazon will end up demanding gene therapy because, you know, it makes our workers more efficient or lowers the cost of workers somehow? Do you ever think of the dystopian effects uh, socially? Well, you know, I mean, I would hope that everything that we choose for, uh, for whether it be for workers or anything else, would, would be for the health of them. Sorry, my cat is meowing. I wondered what that was. Anyway, yeah. I I better uh, jump into what I was supposed to cover. I mean, so I mean, a lot of people say, you know, would would this this just be for the rich? You know, would is the rich are the rich the only people who would benefit from increased it's health stratification to the extreme? Is how but, it would be, know, yes. That doesn't really make sense because, you know, the reason that we hand down health uh, to people and the reason that we industrialize countries was on the base backs of lifespan. So when somebody can be trained for a job and then they actually live long enough to do that job, that industrializes whole nations. So that's why we see, you know, new new nations stepping up into being, you know, the new call centers or the new specialists in certain areas for, for global companies is based on their lifespan. So your lifespan and your health helps drive industry. So we want you to be as healthy and 
live as long as possible in order to maximize uh, the profits, if you want to think about it in that sense. And um, so, you know, passing down any amount of health care that can help uh, people do that would be in the benefit of anyone who, who has money and owns companies. Yeah, a virus doesn't benefit if it kills its host, which is why most viruses tend to become less aggressive. So I guess if you keep your subscribers longer, it's in your interest. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully uh, they're healthy and happy and um, you've brought them health, which, you know, expands on some amount of joy and happiness in their life, you know, that that would be a, a very basic thing to bring. But certainly certain people and in, in certain positions may want to participate in different types of gene therapy, for instance, um, you know, if you were doing heavy lifting, you would definitely want to participate in a, um, a myostatin inhibitor, because, you know, it would increase your muscle mass and, and make it, uh, you know, make you less likely, hopefully, to have an injury over time, and that would keep you active. And I mean, you know, the the hope is that is everybody has um, their say in the technology that they participate in. But if it makes you healthier and live longer, I think that most people would want to participate. It's a it's a path to turning humans more towards being software driven. I would say. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, you can you can think. I mean, it's making them more malleable and more fluid and less predetermined. Well, is a, is a trajectory. Yeah, it, it what it does is it gives you the ability to look at your genome like code and modify that code, uh, making your life easier for you. So, you know, if you're a person who um, was born with very little muscle but a lot of fat stores, you know, you you can turn that around and to your own benefit, you know, you can increase your muscle mass today with gene therapy. And then you can use that those fat stores uh, that you might have had, they're going to be much depleted uh, by increased muscle mass, and then they just become energy stores uh, for greater muscle mass. So, you know, again, I, I would imagine that people would choose for these things uh, by for the reasons that they benefit them, uh, not any other reason. I don't think that we'd be doing gene therapies on people that would hinder them. Like uh, the shortening someone's lifespan wouldn't, wouldn't be of any benefit um, looking historically at what industrialized countries and having sick people certainly uh, doesn't help the economy or, or people or, or anything else. Yeah. I was more thinking you could determine it yourself in a software like fashion in a more fluid fashion in a very malleable fashion. Oh, rather yeah. than centralized or culturally. It's I more really you blend with the machine and then you can alter yourself too. It's like a dream you're living in a way. Yeah, it's it's it really gets exciting. I really picture that there will be an application like on your phone or, or however we're using applications at the time uh, that, you know, you'll basically have your 10-year plan and your 10-year plan will be the things that you want to accomplish and the gene therapies that will get you there. Now, hopefully you'll get your, your basic gene therapies um, like like immunizations uh, long before you have symptoms of aging and you'll be protected there. But, you know, maybe you have a, a couple year sabbatical in which you want to go mountain climbing or you have you want to take 10 years to do your your space exploration trip for the the, the global government or whatever it is. And um, 
you know, you want to go live in the International Space Station or go to Mars or, or you want to, you know, spend a couple years in Antarctica because, you know, people are starting to um, explore it and create housing there. I don't know, something in a low light con- condition, uh, you know, you, you would be able to uh, prepare for that accordingly. Uh, it's very exciting. Liz, could you introduce gene therapy? Explain the two gene therapies you did yourself. So I can build some further questions in the back of that, please. Yeah, absolutely. I was just kind of shutting down the door now that everybody is kind of um, quarantined. Well, I thought you were. I, I thought the pause was. Oh, gene therapy. The, let, <laughs> no, the, let's uh, talk about Amazon and so there, on. Yeah, there is some someone. I don't know. They're sawing something or. I don't know what that sound is. I hope you can't hear it. I, I don't hear it. So I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so what is gene therapy? Gene therapy is um, a therapeutic approach to curing disease. And I'll tell you how gene therapy works. So number one, all of your cells in your body have chromosomes and those chromosomes have genes in them. And those genes code for you. Now there's something called epigenetics. You don't have all of the same genes turned on in every cell because some genes uh, or some cells want to be nose cells. They want to be olfactory. They want to help you smell. And some of the cells want to be the um, lining of your gut. And so they want to help you um, pick up nutrition and excrete um, uh, wastes. So when we look at disease states and genes, where most of the gene therapies started are in diseases called monogenic disease, meaning that a patient or a person was born with a single gene defect. And a disease like this might be hemophilia A or hemophilia B. It might be something like sickle cell anemia or severe combined immune deficiency, which is what we know as a boy in the bubble disease. This They have a, a hindered immune system and, and just like things like the common cold can kill them. When you have a single gene mutation, gene therapy becomes a little bit easier because we only have to put one therapeutic gene in. We just put a proper copy of the gene that you have that's defective into the cells. And I'm going to tell you how you do that, but it changes the organism. It makes the organism healthy again. So right now there's five gene therapies that have been passed through the regulatory system and they're a one-time treatment for a lifetime cure. So you're not going to be taking pills for the rest of your life or injections. It's, it's a one-time treatment for a lifetime cure. How do we get gene therapy into cells? We use what are called vector delivery methods. And um, often these are actually uh, gene therapies that are delivered by what are originally viruses. And so right now, at this moment in history, everybody's freaking out about a virus called SARS-CoV-2. And uh, viruses are super tenacious and really good at getting in cells. But something that we talked about earlier that Lee mentioned is a a virus that isn't very good has a self-limiting capacity. It makes the host sick and the host dies. And um, the immune system has a, a huge response to them. Often the immune system is actually the detriment to the organism. But in gene therapy, we use 
viral vectors of viruses that traditionally don't get you very sick because we don't want to create an immune response. And we use a viral vector because of this. Viruses are really good at getting genetic material into cells. So we use viruses that can't get you sick and they actually are neutered. Uh, all of their genetic material is taken out. We only use them for the capsid, the docking me mechanism to the cell. And what we do is we put therapeutic genes in. So in the case of hemophilia B, you might see uh, something like a gene called factor nine. You put that into the viral vector. The viral vector delivers the gene to the cells and then the cell starts making the proper protein because genes make proteins and those proteins make you. In regenerative gene therapy, when we're looking at something like aging, we're looking at a multi-combinatorial effect. Uh, there is not one known gene that will cure aging. So we look at a myriad of genes. And right now with our partner company, we're looking at four different genes. Uh, but one of our advisors, George Church, is looking at upwards of 40. And so we will be looking at all of those genes as, as they're ready to be put into humans and see how they affect the organism. Now, in 2015, I took two gene therapies. So I'll tell you how it goes. This will just sort of make it much more summarized. A therapeutic gene is put into a vector uh, delivery system. It's built up quadrillions of these uh, gene systems. So each one of them with a delivery and the gene in it itself are injected into the body. Uh, they go into the body and they transfect cells. That means that the they dock up to the cell, they put the genetic material in, and then the, the vector uh, capsid falls off. I had two gene therapies. One of them was called the telomerase-inducing gene therapy. It's The gene is called HTERT. And what it does is it codes for an enzyme called telomerase. So the caps at the ends of your chromosomes get shorter as we age. With every cellular division, they get shorter, and they can get shorter for a myriad of reasons. Stress, smoking, don't smoke, poor diet, lack of exercise, things like that make your telomeres get short faster. But vastly, it happens during cell division. And um, there's a limit to cell division called the Hayflick limit. So the, the cell division limit for uh, human cells is around 50. And for bowhead wells that live about 250 years, it's much higher. And for organisms that live uh, less amount of time, it's um, much lower. So that's actually been pinned to several different species now in studies. And so this limit seems to limit how long uh, organisms can live. So the idea is to increase the telomere at the end of the chromosome uh, for the organism to live longer. And it actually reverses some uh, hallmarks of aging. We, we look at the hallmarks of aging to what we're treating when we're treating aging, but it doesn't reverse all of them. Uh, the second gene therapy I took was a myostatin inhibitor. The gene is called fullostatin. Uh, it was a gene therapy that had been through safety and efficacy uh, for muscular dystrophy. It increases muscle mass. We think it'll be massively uh, beneficial to an aging population that vastly gets frail and dies uh, from frail frailty, falls, and um, incidentals uh, uh, that are associated with the frailty. And um, it is a fantastic gene therapy. So um, it increases your muscle mass. 
uh, decreases your uh, blood glucose levels um, to a healthy level uh, for an aging population, should help people with type 2 diabetes, increasing insulin sensitivity, and decreasing white fat. And, um, and there are some links that we're looking at to see if it will reverse atherosclerotic plaques as well. So those are the two gene therapies that I took um, in 2015. Thank you very much. So people wanting to uh, explore gene therapies, because you said you had two, I think that you may have a third one available or just becoming available. Oh, we have two more available, and I'm going to be taking them uh, hopefully as soon as this uh, quarantine, uh, you know, lack of travel uh, is lifted. And that's one of them is called Clotho. Uh, it protects against cardiovascular disease and chronic kidney disease and increases uh, intelligence uh, by upward of 20% in mice within hours of being injected. I didn't so, know the intelligence link. I, I knew the cardiovascular one. And how much of the population? population naturally has uh, the clotho gene in a protective yeah, that's not known but some people do have the clotho gene people with one copy tend to have higher iqs and people with two copies also benefit from that but can benefit uh from a downturn uh in uh depression so that's something that we're looking at and uh analyzing, but how many, how much of the population has that? We don't really have a whole population study on that. And that's why when people come in and want to participate in therapeutics, we have a, a genome sequencing done on them. Okay. And so one is Clotho and the other one? Is PGC1-alpha. Uh, PGC1-alpha increases the um, uh, biogenesis of mitochondria, uh, making them more robust and plentiful, uh, increasing energy stores without the detriments of uh, the oxidative stress and um, damage that can be done by increase in ATP production. So it's really interesting gene. All four of the genes that we look at increased lifespan in model organisms. And of course, we're hoping to see that in humans as well. That's exciting. Both of those are very exciting. But I'm wondering how you're going to measure on the mitochondrial front. I know you're taking this overall epigenetics work, but hey, you, you want a uh, you want some kind of measure in the mitochondrial side to know what changed. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering how you sort of quantify that, since it's yeah. almost impossible as far as I know to measure ATP it, without going into all, I mean, not, not cheaply or easily, let's put it that way. Well, you know, we're working with different labs to do uh, different proteomics, but in some cases you can use what's called clinical outcomes. And so if the patient uh, reports uh, greater activity, if they're reporting uh, longer periods of time of, uh, you know, workout and exercise, um, in an aging population, it should be more evident than if you did it in someone who was already young and pretty robust to begin with. But uh, clinical outcomes are still uh, based um, uh, in good evidence, and they're you know as long as they can be measured, they can they can be pretty good marker. If I understand correct, and please correct me if I phrase this badly. What you're doing is you're promoting uh, medical tourism, regenerative medical tourism, and you're arguing that you're doing it because you're knocking medicine into the next era or pushing it, pushing it along, giving it a nudge. Would that, is that true, that what you're offering is regenerative medis, medical tourism? 
So that's what Integrative Health Systems offers. That's one of that's our exclusive partner. They definitely do that. BioViva does two things on our side. We do um, data science and with the kits. So we have uh, the epigenetic kit, and then we have the BioVault that can look at a vast array of any of the uh, testing that you might have participated in. And then we do research and development at Rutgers University, where we're developing a new viral vector delivery uh that can get multiple genes predictably into cells. And so we work with integrative health systems because we really love what they do and we really want that data uh, to find out how these drugs are performing in patients so that we can make better therapeutics through our pipeline. I have to ask a question from the subreddit on uh, longevity. Jansen, Jansen, yeah, Jansen, 1975, uh, he asks... Where is a published peer-reviewed paper for the research, not the stuff done by Blasco at the Spanish National Cancer Center? Proper peer-reviewed data produced by the company, rigorous scientific review. So we actually have some uh, great uh, review that will come out of our research and development. Um, we're in the midst of that. As far as patient data, these these are studies. Uh, we do have some people that are interested in doing uh, peer-reviewed papers on that. We are not uh, a university. We are a private company. So uh, the data that we release over time will be uh, in line with being a private company and not a research uh, research institution. Although the reason that we're so interested in the studies at Integrative Health Systems is because BioViva itself will take any high-performing drug that we understand the outcome, the endpoints of the therapeutic through um, clinical trials in the U.S. So we, we will be going through all of that um, all of those guidelines as the drugs uh, prove to be worthy of doing that. Thank you. Someone else asked, and it's a question I wanted to ask anyway, is what are the costs? I believe it's something in the 75K order, if I understand, and I think it takes 16 weeks to develop, and you can clarify that. But if people come together, say, in a group of 10, you can drastically drop the cost. So can you give some idea of costs and also reduction of costs if people band together? Oh, yeah. So the, the great thing about this technology, well, the bad thing is that it's very expensive. Uh, the, the, the cheapest, <laughs> look, that's the lowest price gene therapy on the entire planet would be uh, $75,000. And I believe that some of the organ-specific low-dose gene therapies are priced at such. Um, you have to realize the cheapest gene therapy that's been through regulatory system is $425,000 for a single eye treatment. So if you want one eye treated, it's $425,000 for one eye, uh, or you go blind. So if you have that condition and, um, 850 for two eyes. There, there's no deduction. Those are the regulata regulatory uh, system uh, gene therapies. That's the cost. Those, that's the cheapest one. So in medical tourism, we can do a lot better than that because we're not trying to have happy shareholders. We can get the cost down uh, to a minimum 
whilst still having you take them with a medical doctor under consent and with, you know, the, the medical outline and guidelines of, of, of people uh, participating in the system. So yes, we have been able to get, I believe one of the gene therapies or they have on the integrative health system side, uh, been able to get one of the gene therapies down to $75,000. They go upwards uh, from there. Um, and if more people participate, that's called doing things by scale. We can absolutely uh, get things cheaper. I don't have an exact number for you here, but if we had people coming at 10 in at 10 at a time, it's definitely reduced. If we have people coming in a hundred in a group at a time, it's significantly reduced. And if you had uh, a thousand people coming in at a time, it's radically reduced. It makes these gene therapies affordable uh, to most people in industrialized countries. And then the idea is to scale them from there and make them affordable for everyone. I don't know if it's legal, but you cannot help but wonder, well, I can tell you this, I would like if there was some kind of Kickstarter and you aim for 200 people so then I can afford it. Oh, absolutely. So we've got uh, Maximum Life Foundation is uh, taking donations for two different people now. Um, their website will be updated, I think, in the next week or two. Uh, they're doing... Uh, fundraisers for two different people at that point when it launches again. And then actually you can donate to Maximum Life Foundation and uh, put in IHS as a note and the money will go entirely to funding new studies. And they're the ones that are funding the 10 uh, patient uh, study for dementia. You know, I mean, that's revolutionary. Uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And uh, you just need to contact them and ask them if you would like to put up your own page. Yeah, but what I was meaning was maybe I miss, miss said something. What I would like to see is like a Kickstarter for, say, all, all those who wish to have uh, their uh, telomeres lengthened type Kickstarter campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, you must pay $10,000 each. Oh, I and see. Then, yeah, why not a digital platform where you set the amount you need and see if you get 100 people? I, I would love that. Yeah, that, that actually is really great. Please make that. <laughs> I don't know if you can legally put it on because it's medical and so forth. And yeah, I don't know I, I don't. either. But, you know, it's something that you could talk to Maximum Life Foundation and ask them to put it up. Now, it might be, you know, if, if we're looking for uh, treating a thousand people, we can get the cost down significantly. It might not be 10,000 per person, uh, but it would be closer to that. And... Um, I, I think you should actually approach them about it and see if you could get them to put something like that up. Again, I don't know what the legal ramifications uh, for that are. I know you can do a uh, single person and they can donate uh, to studies, but that would be amazing. And of course, if there's any big uh, donors out there who would like to just fund a study, you know, if I had a lot of money, I mean, obviously this is what I've spent all of my money doing now. I mean, this is what I'm spending the rest of my life doing is to try to increase human health span and, um, you know, uh, better uh, lives with less suffering. But um, if I had a load of money, I would definitely fund a study of 10 or 20 people uh, participating in a therapeutic that I might be interested in. See how it goes in 10 or 20 people and, uh, and then participate in myself. You know, a lot of people are dying 
with a lot of money in their bank that they might have been able to extend their own lifespan, live their legacy instead of leave it. And yet, you know, nobody benefited uh, from, you know, the, the money that they made during their lifetime. It's just really sad. Are you, yeah, it's a better legacy. Are you concerned at all? And this is a question, um, again, from Reddit. The, you know, the, are you worried that the, I'll, I'll read the question as he's put it instead of in my own words. Are you worried the oral telomerase activating small molecule research at Harvard will make telomerase induction via gene therapy a harder sell? In other words, you know, you take a supplement which has the same effect. Oh, no. I mean, I, I'm really happy about any technology uh, moving forward. If it, if it really actually works, um, I think that that's fantastic. We're a platform for a multitude. So one of the things that Integrative Health Systems does is drug testing. And um, so maybe you have a longevity fund. Uh, maybe you're an investor and you're interested in, in three companies. You can actually pay to go through the integrative health systems and get patients access to the technology to find out if it works in humans. And um, I think that this can revolutionize and, and really expedite uh, the use of therapeutics in humans. If there is a better and safer way to extend human uh, health span and lifespan, I am 100% for it. I Look, that's what the whole company was built on the premise of is to find out as fast as possible what therapeutics work in humans in order to expedite the process to through the regulatory system and to the most amount of humans as possible. We are open to anything. So I, I, I'm not, I'm not concerned about the future of this company. I'm concerned about the future of humans. Okay. And uh, one of those two, um, extra new novel gene therapies that you you plan to do do you mind me asking are they're getting delivered in in one viral vector both of them uh they you cannot deliver them both in one viral vector and that's why we're doing the work at research the research at rutgers university in order like right now the the, the vector that we're using at uh rutgers we could get all four of our gene candidates into one single therapy so if you came to integrative health systems and you wanted here i am speaking on behalf of them but if you wanted three different genes you can get them all delivered at the same day, they're just delivered in their own vectors. So they're delivered singularly um, the same day. So meaning there would be one therapy on the table for uh, fullostatin, increasing your muscle mass. There would be one therapy on the table for telomerase. They can be given to you the same day as if you're taking one treatment, but they are packaged separately. Okay, and one of them is, I forget the name you called it, but I believe it's, uh, it's a, I think it's APOA1 Milano. Uh, we don't do that gene uh, today, but we are interested in that gene. And so for anyone listening, that was a gene that was seen to be upregulated in people who don't suffer from cardiovascular disease. And um, it's a, a small group of, of persons in Italy, and they don't get atherosclerotic plaques. Uh, what's interesting is they do, that. we were talking about that before the show, uh, the association with cholesterol and health and how it's vastly being debunked. But 
uh, people who have APOA1 um, have high LDL cholesterol, uh, but they don't have uh, an increased risk for cardiovascular disease. As a matter of fact, they're protected against it. So uh, we don't do that gene uh, today, but it is one that we're looking at, and it has had uh, a lot of research and development done on it in the past, and it's something we're taking a, a deeper dive into. I apologize. You had mentioned Clotho. Yeah, Clotho. <laughs> yeah, Clotho. Clotho, Clotho uh, when knocked out of mice, uh, it creates accelerated aging. And it was one reason that they looked a little bit closer. Another reason to take a closer look is that people who suffer from chronic kidney disease, which is eventually everyone over time eventually, uh, have lower levels of the protein that Clotho creates. So Clotho was named after uh, the goddess that spun the web uh, or the thread of life. And um, it's a, a beautiful name. And um, it, it's, it's got a myriad of health uh, benefits to the body, uh, increased intelligence, uh, protection against cardiovascular disease, and probably most importantly, the lowest hanging fruit uh, is protection of chronic kidney disease. Okay, and maybe it's worth mentioning the the viral delivery you consider safe because of the relationship we've had with viruses over time the the fact we interact with them every year like you could maybe just briefly mention aav and the common cold right so aav the adeno-associated virus is a wonderful small virus it's not the adenovirus a lot of people get it mixed up with that the adenovirus was uh is still used but was uh Yes, that's what I had in my mind also. So yeah, yeah, you're right. So please differentiate. So think of the adenovirus as being um, uh, something like the size of the sun. It's it's very big and it it causes an immune reaction, Not maybe not because of size, but because of immunogenicity issues. And it was responsible for the death of one person in 1999. And, and the, the death was absolutely unfortunate, um, but unfortunately uh, shut down the area of gene therapy for a long time. And, um, and that probably has led to, you know, the death of a lot of people that might have benefit. So, you know, in medicine, it's, it's a really uh, careful balance, but that's a very big virus. Now the adeno associated virus is, uh, sounds very similar, but it's not, it's tiny. So in comparison to the adenovirus, let's say it's the size of, of Venus or, or the earth or something like that. So it's a very small virus and it, it doesn't cause an immune reaction. Most, most people, you've already seen it. Almost everyone listening to this podcast, 80% of the population has already seen it and has antibodies for it. And, um, it doesn't cause much of an immune reaction. So it's, it's very stealthy, uh, but it can't fit, very much a gene in it. It has like a 5KB uh, size limit. And what that means is that even uh, a gene that we're looking at that is beneficial, we have to cut it down basically to its bare bones to the protein that we want it to produce in order to get it into the adeno-associate virus. And so with our gene therapy, what we're doing is uh, we have a, a bigger delivery method, but I hope that explains to you what is used today. And AAV has been in hundreds of trials, uh, thousands and thousands of people. I think it's 400 trials. Oh, that yeah. Kind of order. Yeah, hundreds of trials. Yeah, so it's it's really fantastic, and and that's why people like it so much. And it has what's called a lot of different serotypes. So over the years, 
Um, so the wild type uh, AAV is called AAV2. There's a little number next to it with a two. And um, that's the wild type and it can integrate, but it integrates into a safe site of chromosome 19 in humans. Uh, but the other forms of it rarely integrate. Uh, they're called AAV1, AAV3. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, DJ. There, there's a bunch of other uh, forms of it now that have been modified in the uh, the research, and they're basically destined to certain serotypes, and and that means that they target certain tissues, and that's the great thing about viral vectors that we can do, as we can say uh, we just want to target skeletal muscle. Um, and we can do that without, uh, without, uh, sending genes to the heart and enlarging the heart. So we can increase your skeletal muscle without enlarging your heart. That's good news. Um, in case you don't know, um, we can, uh, target it to your neurons. Uh, we can target it to your microglia. These are two different deliveries. A lot of people don't know that. So when we do a gene therapy for dementia, we wouldn't just be using one AAV. Uh, we use two. Uh, we can target it uh, to specific tissues uh, in order to make sure that that's where its greatest uptake is. And so that's why AAV is so fantastic because now it's been around long enough. It's been uh, considered safe in humans and it's uh, had its specificity changed uh, to target certain uh, tissues. And the great thing about uh, the viral vectors over uh, other delivery methods uh, like liposomes is you can get the uh, genes in to the nucleus predictively, and you can't with the other technologies, you kind of get them into the cytoplasm. And so <clears throat> it still is, uh, I mean, nature after uh, so many billion years is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And uh, this is the most incredible uh, nanotechnology on the planet. So yeah, there are bad viruses uh, that get you sick and, and do horrible things. And then we can actually even take some of those and turn them into harbingers of, of good, good effort and um, make them deliver therapeutic things. But vastly, we work with uh, viruses that, that don't really get you sick to begin with, because the, the benefits there are, are even greater. We can use larger amounts of them in a, a system without creating an immune response. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's an amazing evolution we've had with viruses and also uh, with fungi. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, uh, that reminds me, uh, there was some weird uh, fungal infection going around in humans uh, recently in hospitals in New York, that was uh, last year at some point. So funguses have some really kind of negatives too, but they have a myriad of positives and um, can be amazing uh, protein sources uh, for food. Uh, funguses are not something that we use in, in gene therapy, uh, not uh, on our side. Yeah, I, I realize that, but it's just a fascinating uh, evolution, which kind of thinking like that reminds me of something earlier. I just have to briefly bring up. You speak a lot of improving the human condition with what I'd call a godlike level of power, but uh, you know, you know, where does looking after the other kingdoms, like the animal kingdom, uh, the biosphere in which we live, it just seems very human orientated. And I imagine us as super gods 
And at the moment, we're, we've built 40,000 cow mega dairies, at least in the east coast of the States. It'll be half a million me- cow mega dairies, et cetera. It just doesn't, it, there seems to be a disconnect between humans improving their condition vastly and uh, the ever greater industrialization of animal processing and living out with the limits of the biosphere. Do you consider that? Absolutely. I, you know, I have one religion and it's the earth. I absolutely um, worship Gaia. I, I, um, I, this is, this is the most magnificent. uh, I, I, it's almost like a cell. Uh, It is, we can't replicate what we have here on earth. It, it, it is so important to learn from it and take care of the biosphere and the creatures within the biosphere and to ensure our own safety and health. Integrative Health Systems uh, last year launched uh, Integrative Health Systems Pets. So they treat dogs, cats, horses um, for prolonging uh, health span and that that's really just the beginning. I mean, <clears throat> all of science is built on information from all the different phyla and the balance uh, that it takes in order to create something like the earth is still, again, it's, it's not reproducible. It is vastly important people that we take care of this planet. Um, if, if you can't respect anything else, uh, you should heed a, a, a great respect uh, for this planet it is, I mean, I always say, I, I've put a, out several Instagram posts where, you know, it, what we see when we look out every day is just, it would be unimaginable uh, if you were born without a vision of it. It is amazing. It is, it's, it's like the improbability drive um, from Douglas Adams. It, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> and taking care of it is, is point one. Uh, you want to live in a <clears throat> clean, functioning cytoplasm <laughs> of a cell. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the cell air. analogy. Yeah, where you have clean air and you have the ability to do all of these things. And every once in a while, you can pop in and out maybe to, to go visit other places and hopefully find something as hospitable as this someday. But you shouldn't be using up the resources here and acting like it's finite. And one of the problems, I think, in human mentality is that sort of finite relation with life. Um, you you think, well, I'll be gone eventually, so it won't matter. Um, you really need to think uh, much longer term. We really need to take care of this planet. Do you think you'll get a 24% increase in lifespan because of the telomerase inducer? And and do you think you'll ward off uh, sarcopenia because of the myostatin inhibitor that you took? Like, what do you believe you will, what do you believe the long-term consequences are for you? What do you hope? Or is this just a, I don't, don't know how long it lasts. Is it two years, five years, 20 years? Well, you know, that's something that is yet to be seen. So this is participating in science and we don't know. Uh, we could hope we could make a lot of hypothesis uh, based on biomarkers, uh, but we don't know. So with the myostatin inhibitor, I think that we can definitely stave off uh, sarcopenia. Uh, that is something that we're hoping to test in a myriad of people over the age of 65, ensuring that they still can uh benefit from the increased muscle mass, uh, which I believe that they're already seeing on the integrative health system side, but we have to actually prove it. So 
again, you have to prove all of these technologies work. You can't just say, oh, you know, you, you come in and you t- participate in this technology and you're going to increase your lifespan 24%. We don't know. Um, we hope to see that, uh, we hope to do better than that. Uh, but this is really early in the stages and, you know, things like dosing and dosages in general, it's called titration are still, uh, being, uh, considered. How do we hit enough cells in the body in order to ensure that we have the best outcome from the therapeutic? So, um, you know, I can't make any claims like that. Uh, but I could say that, you know, those are the numbers that we would on the lower side be pushing for. And, um, of course we hope to go, uh, extend much better than that. Appreciate it. I see that we're, uh, running out of time here and I actually have literally 50 questions I've typed out as we <laughs> went along. <laughs> and so I'd like to book two days. So to be respectful of your time, I'm going to just cut the 50 down to two questions. Okay, that's good. One is an open, easy one I'll finish on. Sure. And the less easy one is what I I should have been covering from the start, which is measurements, quantification. So before you went and got tested, I believe you got your telomere length tested, I guess at life length or spectrocell. Mm -hmm, Spectrocell. Okay, and you saw, tell me as increase, uh, you saw your your high-sensitivity C-reactive protein come down. Mm -hmm. And did this data get published in some kind of paper or something of that nature? Is there there actual clinical chemistries people can view? And did you take them multiple times? We, we took them multiple times and we had on the old website, we have a new website up now and I don't think the data is still up there, but we had, uh, I think all of, almost all of my data, uh, just put up in raw form, uh, for a couple of years and we offered any of the data to reputable, uh, universities, uh, free of use, um, we had uh, Harvard work with us a, a bit because we, uh, George Church is a scientific advisor and they took some of the pre and post blood samples and they showed that the um, folostatin was increased in my blood levels after. But um, no, we've, we've never uh, published a, a scientific uh, paper. We think that, you know, the human evidence is, is the most important. A clinical trial will be the next stage after human studies, after we prove that the technology works. And, um, of course, we would like to always keep medical tourism open uh, to people so that they can get lower cost gene therapies. I think we already discussed the cost of gene therapies and all the regulatory past gene therapies are way too expensive for most people. Um, so we hope to keep those sort of accesses open. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the problem is, is that, you know, people always want some level of... Um, I guess they call it science, but you know, 85% of papers are not reproducible. There's a lot of bad science out there. There's a lot of cherry picking. So we chose to just open the data open source uh, to anybody who wanted to look at it. I agree. There was a lot of bad papers. I I forgot. uh, P.A. Lonis. 
I think was the one who wrote a paper to say that 85% of papers are false. Yeah, there, there is a lot of really bad stuff out there. And everything that all of the genes that uh, integrative health systems use are based on reproducibility in multiple labs, because you can't really actually trust one lab. So the, the, the reason that we're not open to 500 different genes is because uh, we have to look at reproducibility. There has to be a meta-analysis that shows that the uh, therapeutic uh, discovery is is accurate, and so that it's not coming from one place. And I'm I'm, I'm not saying that you know there's bad stuff going on out there, but you know the the chasing of money and grants has created a, a really sick system in um, our scientific forums. And we have to really protect ourselves against that. I mean, you can imagine I took two gene therapies. Uh, one of them had been in humans in trials, which is great. Uh, the other one, I was just basically rolling the dice and hoping that people were telling the truth in their papers. <laughs> okay. Final question. And it's about myths. And I wish to quote you, or I believe I'm quoting you. I've noted it down as a Liz Parrish quotation. Technology always lays above where we're at, and public understanding lays well below that, and it's steeped in myth, like thinking that gene therapy might not be a natural process. Can you elaborate on myths and technology being oh, above? Yeah, but, you know, it, there are a lot of myths, anything that's not a universal truth. I mean, we believe in the myth of money, and because we all believe in it. Um, it works. I can change my dollars for uh, some amount of uh, something that I want. And that's really great. Um, when it comes to technology, where technology is at is always higher than most people's understanding. Most people, you know, when I took a gene therapy, one of the hugest debates was whether I could have possibly taken a gene therapy, whether that was real technology that people could do. And um, gene therapy had actually been around for decades. And so um, it's really important to bring people's understanding to where technology really is. And is gene therapy a natural process? It absolutely is a natural process. Uh, that is what viruses are doing to you. Every year you uh, uptake viruses. Uh, sometimes you're not lucky and you get some of these worst things going around and they are doing a systemic uh, gene therapy on your body. Um, gene therapies happen to your body all the time. As a matter of fact, you can age uh, specimens uh, by the certain uh, genes that are upregulated or not necessarily upregulated, but are found in their genomes from uh, various infections that they got over time. Uh, gene therapy actually uh, naturally existing uh, through viruses has done the humans uh, a myriad of benefits. It's, it's thought to be responsible for the genes that have created uh, the consciousness uh, long-term thinking uh, that we have, the ability to retain old information uh, in order to put it into new stores to uh, predict a future. It actually helps, uh, gene therapies have helped us that are naturally occurring again from your environment helped us uh, be more successful in caring uh, children long-term because when we integrate a, a gene from a virus, we be, we create some sort of immunity uh, to that gene and it helps us live longer and basically stave off the effects, the negative effects of viruses in the future. <clears throat> so uh, gene therapy is a natural process that happens to you in your environment uh, whilst just living 
what we do is we harness it uh, for the betterment of your organism by using uh, therapeutic genes to make you healthier uh, in the short term rather than uh, generational uh, uh, herd immunity to just a, a specific virus. I greatly appreciate your time, Liz. Oh, I appreciate being here. It's been fantastic. And I feel it's been more of a coffee chat, and I feel kind of guilty all along. I've not been jumping down deep quantification avenues, but I just couldn't <laughs> help myself with you. And I feel we needed at least six times more just to cover the surface, so hopefully another time. Oh, yeah, um, definitely we can do it another time. And um, it was a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate you being interested in my story and and your future. I'm greatly interested and I'll be tracking it. And if people want to find out more, that's bioviva-science.com. That's right. Okay. So I hope people check that out. I hope you continue being as vivacious and as uh, optimistic. I hope the two new gene therapies go well when, when that takes place. And I would uh, uh, like to thank you once again for your time. Well, thanks for having me. And I hope that you look forward to the future of your potential gene therapies and that people are listening are starting to look up uh, what these uh, specific genes are and starting to create their own future. You know, it's really not about me and it's not about rich people. It's about you. This technology is is really uh, for the masses. The the company was was built for the world. And uh we really appreciate any sort of uh, interface that we get to have with people who have uh, different outlook for it or ideas for it or uh, just want to chit-chat about things that they're excited about. Well, I appreciate you spearheading it and bringing it increasingly into public consciousness. And with that, I better let you go, Liz, and thank you so much. Thank you. Again. Bye. Bye. For more information, Please see hyperwellbeing.com or follow Twitter at hyperwellbeing.